Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. Awesome. If you're taking notes today, and I suggest you do, I want you to just write down the, the title of today's message. Mark this. Mark this. How many people... Uh, by a show of hands, take notes or mark up the pages of their Bible. Wave at me if that's you. Awesome. How many people prefer not to? You're like, I just want the pages to stay nice and clean. Anybody wave at me if that's you? Okay. If that's you, and that's okay, that's okay. You should just keep another journal in there where you're, you're jotting down ideas because the Bible is intended to be read conversationally. It's intended not only that we read the Bible, but that the Bible reads us. And, and some of the best Bible study happens when you're looking at the pages like, ooh, that, it's pretty close to home. I remember when I was young, I just thought, man, I, I got to keep my Bible real nice. And I was always forgetting things. And then I just decided, okay, there, there's margins for a reason. And so if you look through most pages of my Bible, there's little thoughts and notes and scribbles and asterisks. And this particular page of Scripture that we're going to look at today is no different than that. Mark this. I want to encourage you to mark some things down. In fact, as I read today, there might be something that stands out to you. You're like, I'm going to have to circle back to this and, and, and give some more thought to this in the, in the days to come. And if that's you, do so. Mark it down. Mark it down. It's going to be amazing how it reminds you in the future of something that God was speaking to you right now. I read, read through my Bible I think uh, in its entirety for the first time when I was 10. And so for, for a number of decades now, I've been reading through the Word, and it actually gets more challenging, not less. I find myself uh, more confronted by truth, not less. I find myself, every time I, I go through Scripture, going like, hey, I know I've seen this before, but how is it that this moment right now, it just aligns perfectly with what I need to hear. I want to read you a passage of Scripture in just a moment that I think speaks to the season that we're in. It speaks to the time that we're in. And it begins with Paul using this word, Mark, this. In this passage of Scripture, he's speaking to Timothy. Timothy was someone that Paul was mentoring, but I don't like using the word mentee. Have you ever heard that, mentor, mentee? It just feels weird. Didn't he say it? You're like, he was not writing to his mentee. He actually words it this way. He he writes to his true son in the faith. This is a fatherly type of letter. Now, Paul was not Timothy's biological father, but he had fathered him in the faith, so much so that with affection and care and concern, he wants to see Timothy succeed. He wants to see Timothy win in life. He also is pretty passionate that the church that Timothy is leading in Ephesus continues to thrive and grow. Now, some history would say that this particular church in Ephesus at one point grew to about 25,000 people. So being in a portion of ancient Turkey, a church of 25,000 people in a, a, a newly urbanizing area, Timothy had a challenge on his hand. He was not just leading a Bible study, although there's nothing small about doing that, but what he was doing had incredible consequence that affected thousands of people. Timothy had a lot of pressure on him. He had a lot of weight on him. And so Paul, as he's finishing his journey and finishing his race, he says in his letters, I- I've kind of fought my fight. I can see the finish line. I've finished my race and I've kept the faith. And now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness. And he's speaking as he's finishing his journey, kind of like a baton pass 
to Timothy, saying here's some things that you should be aware of in your leadership. So we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and as I read this, you'll note that it speaks to what is referred to as the last days. Have you ever heard the Bible talk about the last days? It's the premise of like a ton of different movies, a whole genre, right? Post-apocalyptic type of days. In the Bible, whenever you see the last days, what it is referring to is from the moment that the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh, Acts chapter 2, until present, and however many more days we get. The last days are the church era. The last days are the, the season where God has chosen, this is how I reveal myself on planet earth. I'm using my church, as imperfect and flawed as it might be, I'm, I'm calling on the church to be my body and to reflect the light of Jesus for all to see, that as people look at us, they see Jesus. These are the last days, okay? Now, you could replace it if you want, with a statement like this, as time goes by, and it would still be accurate. Like, as time goes by, it's getting later and later in these last days, but it's speaking into the church era, the, the reality of being the, the embodiment of Christ on the planet, being the, the beacon of light in a broken, dark world as the world continues to struggle and stumble, okay? It says this, mark this down. There will be terrible times in the last days. Thanks, Paul. Kind of a downer. Hey, mark this down. Write this down. Are you taking notes? Taking notes? Everyone got a pen? Okay. Going to be terrible. There'll be terrible times in the last days. What he's speaking to Timothy is this. Hey, I don't want you to get this wrong perspective that if I was doing everything right, then everything would feel just right. That is not the reality of the last days. The reality of the last days is not this that when things are going bad, I must be doing something wrong. You might be doing something wrong, but those realities are not connected. Things go bad even when we do things right. There is pain even when you are, you know, what some would classify a good person. It's one of the funniest questions people ask. Why do bad things happen to good people? It's like, well, who's, who are those? I'd like to meet one of those. <laughs> I don't know any. I certainly don't see one when I look in the mirror because I know my flaws, my faults. The Apostle Paul refers to himself as the chief of all sinners. But he goes this, hey, I just want you to be aware of this, that in the last times there will, there will be terrible times. That you can expect some, some chaos. The, the word terrible times, it, uh, it's this Greek word that, that means wild animals and raging seas. Like both seem very chaotic. I am out of control when I am in an environment full of wild animals, and I am not in control when I'm, I'm trying to navigate a boat through raging seas. He goes, you can just expect a few things, Timothy. As you lead, good news, there will be wild animals and raging seas. That's what it's going to feel like in these last days. And then he goes on to, to describe people. He doesn't describe the realities of the times as if time has power. It's the people in the times that make times difficult. He says this, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, 
but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Goes on to describe the nature of these people. I'm going to be reading this whole chapter, by the way, and we'll come back and we'll note some things that we marked. He says, they're the kind of people who worm their way into homes and they gain control over gullible women. We'll come back to that. It'll make a little more sense in a moment. Who are loaded down with sin and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. They're always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They're men of depraved minds, who as far as faith is concerned, have been rejected. But they will not get very far, because as is the case with these men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however... You know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, suffering, the kinds of things that happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, the persecution that I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from it all. He goes on to say this. Actually, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know uh, those from whom you've learned it and how from infancy you have known the scriptures which have been able to make you wise for salvation and faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures God breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. He's giving a, a, a warning, just a heads up for you, Timothy. Here's some things you can expect. Mark this down. Take these notes. You, you're going to have a time where this becomes really relevant. What I notice is the last days seem to describe the days we live in. But this is not just a picture of 2022. This is a, a picture of human history. This is an, an exposition of the human condition. This is, uh, you know, shining a light on the proclivities that we all carry within us. He goes, in these last days, there will be some who become lovers of themselves. My goodness, you don't have to look very far in the world we live in to be encouraged and challenged. You just got to love yourself. Self-love. It's more the answer. If we just had more self-love. Now, now, here in Scripture, it says that actually, when we put our eyes only on self, it's leading us towards terrible times. Now, the opposite of, of, of self-love is not self-hatred. The opposite of this concept of self-love is I'm actually finding my value in, in the love that God has for me. I got my eyes focused on other things. It's not that I think less of myself. I just think of myself less. Self-love is like you need to focus on you. What do you want and what do you need? And that's the top priority. But when we, we get a revelation of, of, of what God wants to do in our life, we're like, God, I just want what pleases you. Think of what Jesus said. He goes, it's my food to do the Father's will. Like the same way you get hungry and you crave food, I just want to do what pleases God. I'm not looking for people to affirm me because that's empty. I just want the, the, the Father to affirm me. He goes, in the last days, you'll have people who just love themselves at the cost of everything else. They love themselves. He goes on to describe the love of money, boastfulness, pride, abusive uh, behavior. My goodness, these are like actually the core values of our culture. 
That, that you should acquire as much wealth as you possibly can at any cost. I heard recently about a seminar for people who wanted to learn how to marry rich. And it was like, you know, a, a sequence of steps. Here's the things you need to do. I see some people in the room are like, I did it naturally. Okay, good for you. But it was like a sequence of events. Like, here's the things you should do, and, and here's the mantra you should believe. I deserve it. It belongs to me. Wealth is what I'm looking for. And they, they, they actually interviewed people, and in this setting, they're like, so if you meet a man, and he's perfect in every way, but he only makes this, this dollar figure, what are you going to do? Like, not worth it. And, and the teaching was this. The hard thing to do is find wealth. The easy thing to do is just to love it. Like, wow, what an in- incredible thing to say. My, my first value, I just want to make sure that no matter what, I find wealth. The person who uh, developed the program, by the way, single. Okay. It's amazing how that happens. Great person to take advice from. But, but this is actually core values. Pride. Boastfulness. You've got to flex on people sometimes. Just remind them who they're talking to. This is a description of, of the, the values of our culture. And it's not recency biased. I'm not just saying, you know, back in the good old days in the 1990s, we didn't do things like this. No, no, no. This is the the condition of the human heart. This is what the church is called into the midst of to try to do things differently. Boastfulness, pride, abusive. Look at this. That people will become disobedient to their parents. Isn't that interesting that that's listed in what Paul says would be a really bad thing for society? When you start to disobey your parents, it's actually the breakdown of society in the terrible times in the last days. And yet, in the schools my kids go to, teachers actually encourage children at a young age, make your own decisions. Your parents don't know. Now, I don't know everything, but I know that's stupid. <laughs> that, that people will become disobedient and dishonoring to their parents. There's a, a spiritual principle that when we dishonor, it leads us to destruction. He goes, these are just the things you're going to start to see. Check this out. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. Without self-control. That would be a mark of terrible times. It leads us into really bad times to be without self-control. And every tech company that has ever existed has departments of people trying to figure out how to take advantage of us when we're at our weakest. When when are people most likely to spend money and what conditions? There are departments in every tech company whose job it is to go, you know, if, if we made that button green, no, just a little bit, yeah, that green, right there. That green will motivate sales more than this green. That, that self-control might not be our greatest asset right now. Is it a 2022 problem? No, it's a human problem. It's a last days type of problem. Look at this. They'll become treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This is the one I want to focus on right now. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. A form of godliness but denying its power. You know what you don't see very often anymore is uh, w- one of my favorite things growing up. And if I'm going to be honest, I'll extend the growing up age into my adulthood. I love a good buffet. 
I love a good buffet. You can call it what you want. You can call it a salad bar, but if that salad bar has meats and cheeses and hot dishes and an ice cream machine, I love a good buffet. When, when I was growing up, you know, you're talking like Uncle Willie's, Mr. Mike's. My favorite was Bonanza. Bonanza, I think, went out of business in the 90s, but Bonanza, that was like a, a special family dinner. You're going out to Bonanza. It was a salad bar. You, you just order, like, I guess there was a menu, but I never took note of the menu because you could just get the salad bar. And the salad bar had all sorts of non-salad items. It's the best kind of salad bar. Anyway, there's like, like buckets of potato skins with melted cheese and bacon on them. Like, that's vegetable right there. I see a vegetable. I'm going to put that on my plate. And you could just go and like, you're, you know, I'm a kid. I could just get a bowl of croutons if I wanted a bowl of croutons. Like, I'm going for seconds. I love a salad bar that has a good ice cream machine. And you can like pre-ice cream your meal. You know, have ice cream, you know, first and then, then get some salad. And you got to kind of like work the system. You got to figure it out. Now, don't waste space. I remember learning once that, that it's very European to eat salad last. And so I'm like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to fill up and then I'm going to have some lettuce and just kind of work its way down. You know, go for a little walk. I'm going to try to find a little more space because the ice cream machine, not the vanilla, not the chocolate, but the swirl, it's beckoning me. And I felt as though everyone in the room was watching when I was making my ice cream tower. And somehow, like, even though they were at their own family dinners, they were all watching going, wow, he's really good at that. And so I just tried to make the biggest tower that I could possibly make. I love a good buffet. I love a good salad bar. Great way to do, to do dinner. Terrible way to do spirituality. And for a lot of us, it's kind of the way that we like to create our own spiritual meal. I'm going to pick and choose the things I like. I'm going to embrace what, what, what sounds like it already fits with my preconceived notions, and I will just happily reject the other things. Keep that potato salad, keep that macaroni salad off my plate. I don't need it. I'm going back for potato, potato skins. I'm going to pick and choose. I'm gonna, I love when a, when a salad bar has chicken fingers. In what world are chicken fingers part of the salad? I love it. It's good. But, but listen, it's not a great way to do spirituality. That is what it is to have a form of godliness but deny its power. It's I'm a salad bar Christian. I like the promises. I don't like the requirements. I, I like the, the moments where the Bible speaks about opportunity and healing and prosperity. What I don't like is when it calls me to holiness. What I don't like is when the, the Bible says that when you honor your father and mother, it goes well with you and you live long. I, I don't like those things. I just want to cash in on the promises. I want to pick and choose the meal that I want to consume. That's what it is to have a form of godliness but deny its power. Why? Because the power that comes from the word is when we build our life on it, not just furnish our life with it. The power of the word of God is when I've dug down deep and this is the foundation, I stand alone on the word of God. The word of God is not intended to be the last, you know, the last touches. I'm just going to put you know, a little splash of color over here. I'm going to put a scripture up on this wall and it will kind of beautify my life. I'm going to pick and choose, and it's just all Jeremiah 29, 11. Look at this. He has plans for me to prosper and not to harm me. Just amazing how that is. And nothing about patience, nothing about perseverance. Paul is speaking to this, and now he makes mention of a few things that might make us want to reject it. Like, like before he's done this sentence, he starts listing some things that might make us go like, oh, I don't love that part. He goes, for instance, 
These are the type of teachings that trap gullible women. And some people are like, oh, I do not like that the Bible says that. Why'd you have to get so specific? Well, he's speaking into a culture and time when it was most common, almost exclusively, that, that the men of the house were out and interacting constantly and, and being assaulted with new thoughts and ideas constantly, which actually sharpens our opinions. It sharpens our perspectives. It gives us an opportunity to work out with fear and trembling what we really believe. It was more common for men to be in educational environments where they were learning and they were studying and they were interacting. And it was in that time more common for a woman to be at home, not exposed to new thoughts or ideas. And what was happening is that those with depraved minds were going, how can I best turn the tide of culture? I know, I'll come speak to those who don't know better. And in that culture and context, it was in-home in gullible women. He's like, you gotta watch out for this, man. Your, your, your wives, your, your households are being tricked. There, there is a, a battle happening, and you're just out there living your best life. You gotta be aware. Now, now look into our culture and time. Look into your own life. This is not, not a uh, cultural dis- disposition, but look at, look at your own life. Who are the people or what are the ways where you're the most gullible? What are the things that draw your heart the most? It might be that you're most likely to have a little bit of a blind spot in an area that stirs up your compassions. It might actually be exposing an area of gullibility. And what the Bible is calling of each of us to do is like firm up that area in your life. Be aware that, that it says this, that they are deceived and deceiving. There are some people who accidentally, or some teachings or ideologies that are just accidentally poisoning us, and there are some that are purposefully targeted to poison us. You understand what I'm saying? Like we're in a spiritual battle, right? Is everyone kind of on the same page with that? This would be the, the, the whole council of scripture. There's a spiritual battle going on for our minds, for our ideas, for our thoughts. And, and when we have a renewed thought, we have a renewed, transformed life. And when we follow in a way that seems right to us, it leads to death. There's a battle for our minds. So Paul just says, Timothy, I want you to be aware. Here's what's happening. While you're just leading your good old church and throwing great services, people are being tricked and deceived into celebrating things that aren't good, having a form of godliness that lacks all sorts of power. Did you, did you catch what it says in there? They're not lovers of what is good. Not lovers of what is good. I, I see that all the time. People who are, are uh, devastated about good news and people who celebrate bad news. In the book of Isaiah chapter five, it says, woe to those who call what is evil good and what is dark light. This happens all the time. This is happening in our world as we speak that we have it twisted, we have it wrong. Paul says it's kind of like Janice and Jambres. They're like, who on earth are Janice and Jambres? They're the names of the magicians when Moses stood before Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And then Pharaoh had some magicians who also could do some parlor tricks. And Moses is like, God's given me power. I lift this staff and I'm, I'm gonna drop it on the floor. It becomes a snake. And Janice and Jambres are like, oh, we can do that one too. It's not that important. It's not that good. And as, as the showdown between God and the pantheon of Egyptian gods was going further and further. Eventually, they're like, we don't know this one. We can't go there. And they were exposed. He's saying that, that's what happens is that, that uh, the ideologies of our world eventually expose themselves. 
That the, the, the thought processes that are trying to trick us and bring us into depraved thinking eventually turn on themselves and become stupid. I, I've heard of a, a person recently who had made it their intention and goal to call out everything in their workplace that seemed not politically correct. And it was like their passion. They were the, they were the watchdog. They were the, the guardian watching everything that was ever said until they got fired because they misspoke and the words that they were trying to use to educate the other people to use words. To try, and then they got fired immediately and they're like, oh, maybe I've been fighting the wrong battle. Like, like maybe, maybe there's, there's some trick. Why? Because the ideology kind of turns on itself. Why? Because it speaks in an area of compassion. We all want to be nice. Is there anyone in the room who prefers not to be nice? <laughs> Someone puts out their hand and everyone moves away. Listen, when possible, be kind and nice. When you can only be one, choose kind. Kind is about being generous in spirit towards someone. Kindness is about reflecting the nature of God. Kindness is linked to what is true. When we're clear, we're kind. Niceness is being attractive and pleasant. It's like I've figured out this system, and in this system, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. It works in this system, so I can do that. I can have whatever intention I want as long as I'm, if you can only be one, be kind. When you can only be one, be kind. What Paul says is this, that there are people, ideologies that are, are, are self-devouring. Eventually, they turn on themselves and expose themselves for what they are. But then he goes this, hey, Timothy, you know my life, right? Like, I've lived by, by the scripture, and guess what happened? Tons of persecution. And then as an aside, he's like, in fact, mark this, anyone who wants to follow Jesus will experience some persecution. Let me ask you, have you ever been persecuted for what you believe? Now, for some of us, we're like, well, it feels awkward to even say so because we live in a free society, we live in a free country, you, you compare to the persecutions that others face, and it's really silly to say we're being persecuted. But Paul actually says anyone who does will be. And, and for some, that cost might be their life. And for some, it might be a little bit of their social credibility. And for some, it might be comfort in their social setting and circle. And they feel like, man, am I going to lose a friend over what I believe? But persecution is an expectation of those who want to follow Jesus. Now, don't go, go fighting for it. Don't go looking to kind of find it, creating contact where there doesn't need to be. You don't want to be the James Harden of spirituality who's trying to get fouled all the time, like, oh, and you're just like rolling around on the floor complaining. But, but come on, let's be aware. Let's be aware that persecution comes with it. Yesterday, my son Titus was playing in a basketball tournament. We showed up, got there on time, had my, uh, my other sons there to watch him and cheer for him. And uh, he got on the floor. He looks over. He's like, Dad, only four guys showed up today. There's only four of us here today. He's part of this team, and people had other commitments, and there's only four. They're going to be shorthanded the whole time. And uh, it was interesting. So two things happened. One is, is very quickly the four boys who were there realized we don't get a moment's rest. This is not a time to take a playoff. we got to be in this all the time, stay focused and be at our best. Second thing that happened is my 10-year-old son, Arrow, is like, I, I could go in. I could go in. I, yeah, Dad, why, why doesn't the coach look at the stance? I'm right here. I could totally go in this. And then, like, jokingly, one of the players is like, Titus, you should ask Arrow. He's like, oh, oh, yes, I'm ready. Put me in. And two things were happening. Two things at the same time. Those on the field of play had to be aware there's, this is not a time to take a break. And there was someone in the stands going, why don't I get to be in the midst of this? And I, I fear for us at times 
that, that we're on the field of play. We're in the midst of, this is our time. And, and we're, we're thinking it's a great time to take a rest. This is a great time to just engage in more self-love. It's a great time, you know, to be proud and boastful. It's a great time for me. It'd just be good for me if I had, you know, just a little more, more acquisition of wealth. It would not be great for me is to avoid all persecution. I would like to take a rest right now and, and just kind of pick and choose what I want. This is not the time for that. This is our time. And I want to speak to those who maybe you feel like you're in the stands right now going, why don't I get to be in the action? Because we got to be prepared. we got to get ready. I said, Arrow, you're 10. That's why. You're 10. These boys are 14 and 15. It is not, not my goal as your father to put you out in an environment where you will just be exposed for the weakness that you have. He's like, but I'm pretty tall for my age. I'm like, yeah, for a 10-year-old. You're not tall for 14. This is not a moment to put you out and have you exposed for your lack of preparation. It's a time for you to get motivated to do the work in private so that you're ready when your time comes. Does that make sense? If we're the church, then two things are happening. This is our time, and as long as the days continue, it's going to get worse and worse, so we got to get ready. we got to be prepared. He goes, Timothy, you know my life. You know the way I've lived. You can anticipate some persecution coming your way as well because it happens to all of us. I love what it says of those who are being tricked. It says they're always learning but never coming to knowledge. How many times have you heard that, that phrase lately? You know, I'm, just, I'm just taking some time to learn some things. Awesome. What conclusions are you coming to? What growth is taking place in your life? What's a manifestation of now I understand something and I'm repenting for what is wrong. Oh, I'm not repenting. I'm just learning more. Just taking the time to learn. If there's a need for repentance, repent. And if there's not, then move on. Oh, I'm just learning. It's really important in a process of, of learning. And what, what Paul is saying is, Timothy, if you're going to spend all that time, learn the right stuff. Focus on the Word of God. He says a few things about the Word of God that I want to highlight here before I give us our challenge. Okay, number one, the Word of God is convincing. It's convincing. He goes, Timothy, I want you to remember what you have known and become convinced of. I will tell you this right now from personal experience and a study of, of Christian history. The more you look at the Word, the more convincing it becomes. The more casual you are with it, eh, yeah, you know, I could kind of see where there's some gaps here, but the more you study the Word of God, the more convincing it becomes because power comes in obedience. James even says this, don't just read the Word. You're going to be so deceived. You have to do what it says. The Word of God becomes convincing when we put it into action. But some of us, we treat it like a salad bar. Well, like, I don't really love this stuff about roles because I can be whatever I want to be. And I don't love this stuff here about honor because it is not my preference. I prefer to receive honor, not give it. And forgiveness is not my strength. And even when we look at the, the fruit of the Spirit, and we've referred to it as the fruits of the Spirit because percentages work in our minds. We're like, I'm six out of nine. I'm crushing it. No, it is the singular fruit of the Spirit. Its aspects are ninefold. But you can't say, man, I'm such a lover and so joyful. Self-control is my fruit. <laughs> Not how it works. We can't pick and choose. The Word of God becomes more convincing. It convinced Timothy in such a way that he actually understood wisdom to come to Christ. Isn't that awesome? He goes, even from infancy, even as a child, it makes sense. 
And when you put it into practice, it grows more and more. He goes, so continue in that. Continue in what is convincing. Allow yourself to be persuaded. I look at scripture and to this day, there's some things I'm like, I'm not so sure about this. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. Here's been my conclusion. I'm going to keep staring at this thing until it starts to make more sense. And one by one, there's things on my list. I'm like, oh, that's why I just didn't understand the context. Now that I do, it makes way more sense. I didn't understand that there was patience involved. Now it makes way more sense. If I pick and choose, as soon as persecution comes, I'm like, I'm doing it wrong. And I'm constantly changing my regimen, constantly changing my disciplines because I'm like, man, I'm experiencing hardship. And then you see Paul say, everyone experiences hardship if they follow Jesus. You're like, oh, well, that makes way more sense. The word of God is convincing. Allow yourself to be convinced. Number two, the word of God is useful. The word of God is useful in your life. Mark this down. It's useful. In fact, it says all scriptures God breathed, and it's useful. What's it useful for? Well, it's useful for teaching us. That means giving us new perspective on ideas that we haven't known, teaching us new things. This week, uh, my daughter graduated from elementary school, and her particular school that she graduated from, grade seven, she is the 100th class, right, Gwyneth? The 100th class at David George, Lord George Elementary, and her principal got up. This next year, a new building will be open, so not only are they the 100th class, but they're the last class. I wonder if the people who are building that building thought, this should last for 100 years. I guarantee you the people who are building the building now are not thinking about 100 years from now. That's for sure. We build things differently. And uh, the principal got up and he said, you know, back when the school opened, things were really different. And, and, and the one thing he, he described I thought was so interesting, he's like, at that time, there was a brand new technology called the ballpoint pen, and it was revolutionizing the education system. That's pretty cool to think of, new technology. Now all the kids are doing everything on iPads with a ballpoint pen. The second thing he said was interesting. He goes, back, back then... We thought education had a lot to do with memorizing things, but now we have the internet to tell us things. So now it's more about teaching us how to think. I'm like, mm, I could use a little more math. I could use a little more understanding, just a little more of like sharp, critical thinking, maybe not just feelings, okay? Why? Because all scripture is useful. Teaching is one of the things. It shows us new things we didn't know. The Bible is not just helping us discover ourselves. It's teaching us things we wouldn't know otherwise. It's also rebuking us and correcting us. That means it is showing us where we're misstepping. When was the last time you felt like the Bible reached out and slapped you in the face? You might not be reading it right if it's been a while. Like you might need a good smack every now and again from the Word of God. It is intended, it's useful. It brings us to more usefulness when we allow the Bible to correct us. It's a good thing for us. And then it also says this, training us in righteousness. That's different. Training is different than teaching. Teaching is giving you information. Correcting is, is exposing what is, is false. But training is giving you palatable next steps. Isn't that awesome that the Bible is not just about saying, this is right and this is wrong. It's, it's about saying, so where you're here, here are the steps to take to get here. Not just saying, this is good and this is bad. I'm helping you walk out of lostness into light. It's useful. And then lastly, the Word of God is equipping. It's equipping. The Word of God is giving us the tools we need for what? Look at for this, that the servant of God may be equipped for every good work. Let me remind you, you're not saved because you did good things, but you are saved with the intention that you would do good things. 
God, God doesn't look at your resume and go, ooh, that's a pretty good person right here. We do sometimes like that. They would make a great Christian. What a weird statement. <laughs> Man, if that person was only a Christian, they'd be a great Christian. A, a great believer is someone who's obedient. That's the essence. That, 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 that is salad bar thinking. They'd make a great Christian because they're already super nice. No, no. A believer is someone who's built their life upon that foundation. And the word of God equips us for every good work. There is something great that God is calling you to that he will also equip you for. Aren't you grateful that God doesn't ask you to do something that you, you have no possibility of doing? That God's not leading you towards something so you can fail? It's not like a, a heavenly punked show where God and all the angels are like, oh, they suck at this so bad. God is leading us to good works and equipping us to accomplish those good works. The word of God. So I want to pose a challenge, okay? That's the end of the message. Just got spiritual. I have no spiritual conclusion. I actually have a, a challenge I want to throw out today as we head into summer, okay? In the next week, this is, not, not, this is, this is only for the, uh, what's the opposite of faint in heart? Awake of heart? I don't know. This next week, I'm going to read the whole New Testament. I want to encourage you to do the same. Be 37 chapters every day. It's a bit of time. That would mean no Netflix. And that might be it. <laughs> might be it. There's probably some media source that it would just be like, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to replace it with God's word. So over the next seven days, I'm going to read the whole New Testament. I want to encourage you to do so. It'll take a, a bit of time. You might use a, a written Bible. You might be able to supplement with an audio Bible if it helps you. If you're like, I, I don't actually have that much time to be still, but I do want to do this. Over the next seven days, starting today, I'm going to read 37 chapters. So I'll, I'll we'll almost be done Mark tonight. That means Matthew and, and Mark. If you want, you don't need to give me a follow. It's so weird when people try to find navigating ways to, to get a follow. But I'm going to post some things on Instagram, just some thoughts. You can just follow along. You don't have to follow. There's like, that was a great way to add 15 new followers. Weird. But I'm, we're going to read the scripture. We're going to set ourselves up. I like big challenges. I remember once someone like, you know what? One day I'm going to run a marathon. I'm like, I kind of wanted to run a marathon, but everyone runs a marathon. I'm like, I know what I'll do. I'm going to run 12 marathons. This year, I'm going to, so every, every month I ran one marathon by myself. It was terrible. <laughs> I just like big challenges. I just don't, I, I just like going big. So maybe you're like me and, and the thought of like slowly trying to figure out a way to incorporate more scripture in your life. Like I haven't even read my Bible in a year. I don't know if I'm going to start reading it now. Well, maybe you could kickstart it. Go big. So th this, this week, that's what we're going to do. We're going to start next week talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And for some of us, we'll have just like had the whole New Testament, just got real filled up spiritually. I want to challenge you. Do the same. Follow along. Now, will that make you stronger in Scripture? It'll give you a kickstart. But if you only read the Bible for seven days, like, I'm done. Woo, 2022. Did it. Well, that's not going to really help. But I want to help and motivate some people. A few weeks ago, we, we talked about just reading one chapter of the Bible. The week prior was even less than that. Just read a little bit of Scripture. But this week, we're going to go big, okay? If you want to follow along in this challenge, we're going to read the Scripture together, read the New Testament, starting from the story of Jesus, how he poured out the Spirit on the church, how the church developed, and then just a little glance of uh, what future expectations could be in the book of Revelation. Let me pray for you. 
often preaching ends with, with some emotional call. I don't want to do that today. I just want to call us to devotion, not emotion. Today, we've got to be people of the Word. We live in perilous times. There are some terrible aspects of them. But i got more hope right now for these times than I've ever had because God's Word is convincing me. Because God's Word is useful in my life. It's equipping me for good works. I'm ready for this. And we, we can all be. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. It's an honor to serve you. It's an honor to know you. It's amazing that you would reach down into darkness and, and shine light upon our souls. I pray today that we would have a hunger and a thirst for your word, that your word would actually have authority in our lives. As we look at the, the list of things that can lead to terrible times, maybe we see in ourselves some aspects. Maybe we have been celebrating what is bad as if it was good. Maybe we have been uh, feeling heartbroken over things that you're doing on this world that are actually good. Perhaps we have found ourselves having just a form of godliness, but missing out on his power because we're not giving you the driver's seat in our life. Today, we want to do better. We want to do different. So I just pray that you speak to our hearts. The, the most powerful conclusion would not be a feeling on a Sunday, but an action on a Monday. So help us to do just that. Across the room with your eyes closed, your heads bowed. If you are here today and you, you become aware as I'm speaking, you're like, man, I don't think my life is right with God. I don't think I'm in a place where like, I'm in relationship with God. Well, you need to know God would love to be and has made the first move by sending his son Jesus into the world that we might live through him. And anyone who asks the Lord for help will be saved. So that relationship getting on track, God's made the first move in grace. We make a response in faith by saying yes to his initiation. So with eyes closed, heads bowed, if that's you today, I'm going to lead in a simple prayer. And if you want to join me, you could just raise your hand where you are. I know who I'm leading in prayer. We're going to pray a simple prayer, and we're going to come near to God. And the Bible says when we draw near to him, he draws near to us as well. So you can pray a prayer just like this right from where you're sitting. Dear Jesus, today I repent of my sin. I recognize that I'm lost without you and I need you, and I surrender my life to you. Thank you for your love and your grace in my life. If you pray a prayer like that, then you are, by definition, the Bible says saved. And you're in a process of being made more like Jesus. And the, the days to come will be joyful and will have some, some trial with them. We'd love to walk through both the ups and the downs with you if that's you. So please let someone know before you leave today, I prayed that prayer so we can encourage you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church Podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.